Welcome to the Men of Magic, an interview podcast that gets into the lives of your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities, with your hosts, Robert Martin and Chris Otwell. And now, the Men of Magic begins. Welcome to another episode of Men of Magic. This week, I am with the general manager of events for Star City Games, level three judge, husband, and a person who enjoys one of my favorite television shows, Burn Notice. Oh, absolutely. Welcome, Jared Silva. Thank you. How did you get involved with Star City Games? I got involved with Star City Games actually almost exactly four years ago was my start date. Matt Viamino, who used to work with Your Move Games in Massachusetts, was the events manager at that point. I knew him from my time judging up in Massachusetts. He contacted me, letting me know that there was a position open, which I had actually already noticed, but was debating whether I was going to apply for. Uh, he actually invited me to apply for it. Uh, I did my interview at uh, the Notorious Grand Prix Fitchburg, um, which they tried to call Grand Prix Boston, and then finally admitted it was just kind of Grand Prix Massachusetts. Uh, so I did my interview there, flew down for an interview, and apparently impressed them enough that they brought me on board. A lot of people don't understand what happens when it comes to a Star City Games event. It's very difficult. A lot of them, they see the event, but they don't understand what happens in the background. Explain exactly what you do for them. Well, that that means we're doing our job right, because uh, if that's all they're seeing, that's great. Uh, there's a lot of planning that goes into these things. Months and months ahead of time, we have to make sure that we have the venue laid out, set up. So that's a lot of contacting venues, making sure that we have rooms that are the appropriate size, making sure that we have a floor plan that's going to be comfortable for the players, that has layouts for the uh, space for the staff, for SCG Live, uh, for all the little things that go into making it really an event. Other than that, once we start getting closer to it, uh, there's travel to and from the event, as well as setting up a staff. Nicholas Saban is our uh, event staffing coordinator and does a great job coordinating, getting all of the judges that help us to run these events really smoothly. Well, you're also a judge and a level three judge. I am, yep. How difficult is it to juggle this job along with being a level three judge? Well, it's it's an interesting position to be in because there definitely are uh, conflicts between judging and TOing. There are certain duties that fall to the TO that the TO can actually replace a head judge if there's a major issue. I've never been in that situation. My philosophy has always been you put the right people in the in the position and they make the calls. You trust them. You you brought them in for a reason. But one of the great things about being in the in the T role O role as a judge is that um, I'm I'm a better resource for the head judge to look to if they want to bounce ideas off people, if they want to ask questions. There are some really great TOs out there who don't have a deep understanding of philosophy, the IPG, and rules. And so just having someone else on the stage to look to. I know when I've been in the head judge role, it's been great to have those people there. And so it's uh, I think it's a benefit. Has Have you had any difficulties so far at the events? Because it seems like, like I said, according to the coverage, you don't notice anything. You hear the announcements of 
you know, the events that are going on, you hear occasionally people needing to actually show up for events mm-hmm. or to get to where they're supposed to, but you never see or hear of anybody saying anything like there's issues with players or anything like that. How difficult well, when the action's live to keep it under control? Well, it's it's always a challenge. Um Having a good staff is is always step one, and having a good head judge is um, an amazing benefit. Uh, anything that happens within the tournament, the main tournament structure, falls under the purview of the head judge. So any disqualifications, we're often involved in the sense that we know what's going on, and we're often consulted with, here's what I'm going to do. You know, do you see any major problem with that? And that consultation is generally as a judge to judge because no no judge wants to be disqualifying a player who isn't cheating no one wants to wants to do that that's a very harsh and very severe penalty to be handing out and everyone when they're doing that wants to be sure and so the head judges handle all of the stuff that's in the tournament anything that is tournament logistics if we need more tables if we need more chairs that's something that's coordinated kind of through the TO um, we've had a couple of tournaments where we wound up having to add chairs. Uh, DC was absolutely huge. We had over 600 seats, but that still wasn't enough. We had to bring in more chairs and get those worked in. And that had to be something that was coordinated with the venue. We had to make sure that they had the chairs to bring in and then had to coordinate getting those set up at the tables. We have to make sure that the side events are running uh, well, that's often where you hear the calls for, for players is when uh, you hear draft number six is ready to go and someone signed up for draft number six but doesn't really remember it. And so you hear a name come over, you know, your draft's waiting for you, you're all set to go. There's a lot of things that, that happen. The two hours before the event are usually the most hectic because that's when you have to get, in the case of D.C., almost 700 players signed up for the event. And so we have four computers and four admins taking signups all through those two hours, trying to get through all the people as quickly as possible so we can get the event started on time. The size of the Star City Games events mm-hmm. have grown by leaps and bounds. Uh, the legacy has taken off. It's actually, ironically, it's becoming two people who actually watch the coverage. It almost seems to be that becomes more interesting than the standard coverage, even though there's more people playing in the standard events. When you're watching from home, sorry, when you're watching from home, you're seeing just the feature matches, so the size of the event really doesn't have a whole lot of impact on your on your view from home. And honestly, right now, I think Legacy is a much more interesting format than Standard. We're we're obviously hoping that it's going to become a slightly more interesting format when uh, New Phyrexia comes out, a couple of, of cards that... Uh, we think might make some impact, some that are going to jump right in. But honestly, they may have just as much impact and shake things up just as much in Legacy. But really, it's going to be the rotation in the fall that's really going to kind of throw things all into turmoil, and I think that's going to be a a really interesting time. I do have a question as a a competitor and for you as a judge. When the bannings came out based on the Godbook being released, what were your initial thoughts? It's really tough because it's one of those situations where especially with a print magazine, they have to have things in so far ahead that you almost have to provide something like that in order to allow them to write such an article. 
but you do that with a huge amount of trust. And I understand them coming down very hard on that because my guess would be that there were non-disclosure agreements that were in place and it's taking internal action against those may actually have been the, the least they could do because you certainly, whenever an NDA comes in, uh, you certainly can see legal actions happening. As you can see so far, there has been a very, very little issues. I want to ask about that. I'm having Rashad on in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. When this was all coming together with Good Games Live and Star City Games to put together SCG Live, yep. when you found out this was happening, what was your thoughts on it, and what did you foresee from this? Well... Honestly, Good Games Live revolutionized how we interact with an event that we're not at. Uh, and I think that it's been some great stuff. I think that um, the vision that uh, Evan had to kind of convert it into SCG Live, bring some uh, some analysts who had more direction and um, were really getting a lot of feedback about what they did after every event and trying to build on it and make the the viewer experience even better. I think that that's, that was the next logical step. And working with Good Games Live for that is really, uh, it's, it was, it was great to be able to work with them to, to kind of push it and to, and to kind of drive it out there. You don't put yourself on camera much. Uh, honestly, there's not a whole lot of time that I can, I can pull away. We bring three events people to each of the events, mm-hmm. and normally our assigned tasks are one of us will be scorekeeping the main event, one of us will be uh, scorekeeping and running all of the side events, and then the other one is kind of the troubleshooter slash uh, venue liaison. So anything, uh, heat or air conditioning, uh, any of the extra chairs, all the stuff like that, uh, making sure that uh, the judges are fed and or have enough water and stay alive throughout the day. Um, so there's a lot of uh, focus that is demanded by the event itself. Uh, but when I can slip away and give the guys a, a break, especially if I can do that in those last few rounds before the um, before the top eight, when they're stuck, they're in those chairs for the duration. It's it's really good to be able to get them a break. You're also married. I am. How does your wife juggle your schedule? Because you're on um, the road a lot. I am on the road a lot. I have been on a very aggressive schedule, and, and my promise to her has been that I will take it down, ideally by the end of the year, to um, only every other weekend. Um, and, in fact, it will have to be a lot down even just to get to that. Uh, that's part of the reason why we're bringing Callie aboard um, and we're try- we're expanding the events department from the five people that we have right now to to six. I had an interview with Kali. She talked about coming aboard the team. How did that all come together from your end, from your perspective? Well, we're always on the lookout for uh, for upcoming judges, um, and both professionally, but also just uh, myself. Ricky Hayashi and Nicholas Saban are all level three judges, and um, 
we all are very committed to the DCI program. We feel that it is uh, a great program. It's absolutely essential both to what we do professionally and to what we do uh, personally. You know, I, I also spend weekends at Grand Prix and other events when uh, I could theoretically have a weekend off because this is really what I enjoy doing. And so we definitely always have our feelers out for, for good up-and-coming judges, period. Uh, we actually met Callie well before she certified as a judge. Um, she actually won the Nashville uh, 5K way back when they were actually 5Ks. Um, and she it was the weekend when Eldrazi Green first kind of burst onto the tournament scene. And uh, she's always been just absolutely into magic and so enthusiastic and absolutely just a joy to be around. And so when she came to us in Atlanta of last year and said, I'm interested in being a judge, we said, absolutely. You know, what can we do to help? You know, if you are interested in helping out today, we've got an extra shirt. She threw on the shirt. Uh, judged the entire day, passed her level one test, and was off to the races. Um, she certified for level two at the uh, Kentucky Judge Conference this uh, the past summer, so last July. And since then, she's been very active both at our events, at Grand Prix, and uh, in her home state of Alabama and some of the surrounding states. Um, she's really been gung-ho, Absolutely driving, uh, looking for other judges, making sure that she's helping other judges, and that's exactly what we're looking for out of basically any level two, but especially one that's going to catch our eye as someone we want to bring on board. What is it like working with Ricky? Working with Ricky is uh, it's, it's a pleasure. Um, Ricky and I met at uh, Grand Prix Daytona Beach when he was just a level one, and um, he actually was running a, he ran a side event for uh, girlfriends and significant others to teach them how to play and was just so high energy and clearly just loved the game. And so he and I really hit it off right away. We ran into each other at a few other events. Obviously, at that point in time, I was with Star City in Roanoke, and he was out on the West Coast. Uh, he really became a rising star almost immediately after that event. Uh, really kind of got on a lot of people's radars at that GP. And then uh, he went on his streak of attending Grand Prix in a row. Uh, finally beat out Nick Fong uh, with, I believe it was Grand Prix DC, um, just after he had uh, come to work for us. And so I, he was... He's just, uh, he's a joy. He's a, it's a blast working with him. Well, I'm going to refer to him, but I'm also going to refer to when I've seen you. Okay. You have players that come up to you and say hi and how you doing, and, and there seems to be a level of respect and mutual admiration for each other. What is it like to have that with the people that played at the highest level? Oh, it's invaluable. Um, I, I like to think that I've, that I've earned that through um, not only being 
good at what I do and and clearly demonstrating that uh, I'm impartial. But also, I I have made mistakes and I have um, I've I've approached the players that I've I've affected with those mistakes and made apologies. So I, I hope that uh, I I've earned that through just being someone that they can respect as a person as well as as a judge. Now that you're part of Star City Games, now that you're level three, are you looking to go level four one day? My feeling has always been that uh, beyond level three, mm-hmm. um, it's in the service of the program. Uh, if If the DCI and if the judge program feels that I'd be more useful to them at level four, then sure, absolutely. Uh, but my feeling has always been that as a judge, if you are the best judge in the world and, and that's it, you're going to wind up at level three. And beyond, beyond that, it's, it's a lot of circumstance. It's a lot of, uh, level of commitment and time that you can devote. And, uh, it's a lot of whether they need someone in a role that you fit. And so it's not something that I aspire to, I guess is, is, is the word, um, or that I'm sitting here waiting for when, you know, when am I going to get promoted or anything like that? I, I don't see level four and five as something that you push for or that you, you try to achieve. I think that it's something that if there's a fit, uh, the program will come to you. What was the situation like when you guys brought on Evan? Follow-up question after that, what is it like to work with him? We were really kind of in an expansion role when we brought Evan on board. And um, we were looking for somebody who had a lot of experience uh, with promotion through new media. And Evan definitely fits that bill. Um the magic show started, you know, in in his his living room, and you know now he's got a a green screen studio out front in the in the storefront, and so I you don't get much more self made than that. And uh, since he's come on board, it's really it's been great. Uh, he's he's another one of those people who lives and breathes the game, and those are just. Uh, I, those are the life's blood. Uh, these events are, they're draining. There's a lot of them. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done. And if you don't like doing that work, if you're not engaged in it, uh, you're just going to burn out. And Evan is one of those people who, you know, has that drive, wants to be there every weekend, and, you know, just absolutely great to have on board. Well, as you know, we're doing an interview with Glenn Jones next. That was my next question. What is it like working with someone who works as many hours as he does? <laughs> you may notice that Glenn has not missed an open weekend this year. Um, <laughs> and it doesn't look like he will be. Um, so <laughs> it's uh, Glenn and I get along just fine because uh, if, I, if I wasn't married, I, I might be at all the events that he is. But as is, uh, Glenn is, is probably going to be the record holder at this point. Um, he, 
just comes in, goes from dusk till dawn, and then uh, dawn till dusk, and does it again. Uh, he's absolutely just, as I said, a machine. You have such an expansive staff there. You brought on Lauren Lee. It seems like you're bringing on new writers. You're expanding. Basically, you made Wizards expand their GPs because of the success of the Star City Games Tour. I would say that we, we showed them an opportunity, <laughs> and uh, they they definitely are aware of what's happening in the in the communities and decided that that was going to be the best thing for them, and I think it's going to be great for the community. There is going to be a very few weekends out of the next calendar year between you and them that there will not be an event going on. There's very few weekends this year. How does it feel to be a part of something that basically they were cutting back on tournaments, the, the amount of stuff was shrinking, and in like a matter of two years, they're expanding. You guys have, you know, you have the second season of this coming up. It, can you explain the growth of Magic? I think that uh, a big part of it is they're coming out with some really great sets that are fun to play. Um and really, that's what it comes comes back to. Um, organized play is a big part of my job, and is a big part of kind of all of all all that we interact with. But you know, the magic community itself is actually so much larger than we even realize. And if we can tap into even you know five percent more of that. I think you'll even be amazed at, at, at what we will be seeing. Well, I'll make a perfect example of this. MTG Cast, which this this will be on, highest rated shows average about 10,000 downloads a week, and even mm-hmm. the ones that aren't so popular average about 2,000 downloads a week. So there's a large segment here that's offered, and, of course, you guys have YoMTG Taps, which was a great get for you guys, I have to tell you. When they started it, it was one of those podcasts that you first listened to and you went, they really have it. What is it like having YoMTG Taps as part of Star City Games? Oh, it's great. Um, they uh, The guys came out and uh, were actually at the last uh, open weekend featuring the Invitational in Richmond. Um, and they're just a, a bunch of good guys. And so it's it's really nice to have all different types of, of media on the site. Uh, Evan's videos, YoMTG taps, the video drafting. It really makes it so that there's a lot of um, a lot of content that's very accessible in all sorts of different ways. Um, and that's a just a great diversification. You know, sometimes you don't want to sit down and read an article. Sometimes you don't have time to, but you can have a uh, a cast on like this one while you're sitting there doing work. Um, you know, sit sit down, put on the coverage, listen to the play-by-play, listen to the discussions with uh, some of the, the top guys who come into the booth, and you know that's some. It's a great way to stay connected to Magic, even if you can't sit down and really focus on an article. To play competitively, if you could say, I could put you in the seat and let you play, do you want to play or do you enjoy the role you have right now? I draft when I can. I, I'm i a fairly competitive person, and so I get pretty into things. Uh, I played World of Warcraft TCG competitively um, because it's a, it's, it's a shallower field, 
and I felt like I could prepare enough to to do well. Um, if I were to try and play competitively, I would need more hours in the day. And uh, even though I've got the I've got the people to to test with around here, there's a great crew around Star City Games. Uh, it's just it's a matter of time and being prepared enough. And so, do I feel like if that was what I focused on, I might be able to do it? Yeah, but um, my focus professionally and personally is much more on the other side of it, and I enjoy it so much that it's um, it's it's not really a conversation that gets very far at any point. When you are judging a feature match or a head table match, mm-hmm. is there times when you watch a really good match that you can get yourself almost too involved with the match? becoming a fan more than a judge at the moment? Well, for me, I usually, when I'm watching a match, I actually don't pay much attention to the players. Um, I try to focus on the cards and and what's going on. That, that helps to keep the focus where I'll catch something that goes wrong. But uh, the other thing is I just, I see magic as just one of the greatest puzzles that's ever been made. And it's always different and it's always changing. And so... By focusing on the game, I'm thinking about what could be played. I'm thinking about what uh, what different plays could be made. And a lot of times it's it's very interesting to see the decisions that the very top players make because uh, often they are not in line with, with what you think, uh, with what your gut reaction is. And it's because they've played the matchup so many times. They know the matchup inside and out. And they know that they either need to hold back on something or they know that they need to go and just be all out because they need to win the game before the other deck gets to X. And um, it's really interesting to when you see a match where someone does something that you don't understand. Um, one of the, And one of the great things about being in the SCG live booth from time to time is you, you sometimes get to ask those questions. You know, so when you... Uh, when you, you were behind and when you equipped up the, the squadron hawk and went in, you know, if he had this, it was going to blow you out. But did you feel you really needed to get in there at that point? What was pushing you to make that decision? And so it's, uh, it's really, it's really neat to be able to ask those questions. The television show that both you and I enjoy, Burn Notice. Oh, yes, certainly. What is it about Burn Notice that hooked you on the show? Uh, the, Part that hooked me was uh, there's a line in, I believe it is the first or second episode, there's a drug dealer set up downstairs, and in one of the classic uh, kind of, oh, they, they have a, a monologue over top as, as Michael sets up his, his trap, and the monologue over top is, Guns make you stupid. Duct tape makes you smart. And at that point, I was hooked. Um, it's really, it's really interesting because I think they do a lot of really inter, really good things with small tricks that you might not think of, but that when you think about them, they really make sense. And a lot of the stuff that they pull out and that they highlight when you know they're setting up a bug, or they're um, or they're trying to uh, break into some place. 
and they go through uh, different ways to do it and different tricks, it it's really it's really fun to see how they figure out those situations. Yeah, I always like the fact that they make characters that play not large roles, but they give them important parts, and they integrate them well oh, into the storyline. And that's one of the things that has drew me into it right away. I was like, a good show will be able to make sure that everybody involved with it gets enough feature time to make it sure that they're important. And in many ways, what you were describing about the show was describing a little bit like magic is. How, you know, you see the steps develop and how integrated it is and how, you know, you're setting your opponent up. And I, I found that interesting. I, I, that was my kind of thought when you were first started talking about it. It's the first thing that popped in my head when it came to it. You have been all over the world, correct? Thanks. To uh, yes. Where has been your favorite place to go? Home doesn't count. <laughs> Um, now, for magic or not for magic? For magic. For magic, the most the most interesting place that I've been was Worlds this past year. Um, it was really, it was, it was absolutely amazing uh, to be in Japan and in Shiba. Uh, it's such a, I, it's funny because so many of the. So many of the things in Japan that you see, you feel like you know, because there's been a, definitely a rise over the past 10 to 15 years of kind of Japanese culture being in, in America. Mm-hmm. And so you'll see something and you'll, and, and you'll recognize it from some reference, um, you know, from heroes or from um, an anime that came in or from uh, just um, uh, Champions of Kamigawa. You know, Kamigawa block definitely was something that was a product of um, focusing on Japanese culture as uh, the basis of a lot of that mythology. Um, and so there's a lot of things that you feel like you know, and then you get close to them, and it's just it's it's different, which is it's really neat to actually see it as opposed to just um, as opposed to just have it shown to you on TV or or piecemeal in different stories. Where is the next place you'd like to go? If there next was next place, I'd like to go. if they say you know we're going to give you a tournament. It's going to be in X country. Where would you like it to be? I really want to get to Italy. Um, uh, Italy or Australia. Those are, those are the two places that I would, I would love to go. Um, both of them are spectacular judge communities. Uh, I had the pleasure of being on Fabian Peck's Level 3 panel when I was in Nagoya. And uh, both he and Nathan Brewer passed for level three. There's something in the water in Australia that just it, they breed spectacular judges there. And um, and Italy is one of my favorite places, independent of magic. But also there's just a spectacular judge community there as well. Um, Ricardo and Christiana. Christiana recently has been promoted to level four and absolutely has has earned every bit of that um 
but there's also other really great judges, Matteo Caligari, um, and, uh, Mirko Consuela, and just a, a whole host of other really strong judges, both in Italy and in Australia. Either of those places would be great to get to. Is there an event that you've been to where there's a story that's happened outside of it that you can share that's interesting or funny? Because you guys all hang up together. I mean, the, the judges kind of hang together because you guys work all these crazy hours. <laughs> can you give yeah. us a funny story from an event that, that you can say without getting anybody in trouble? <laughs> uh, there, yeah, there aren't really too many other people getting off at you know 1:30 in the morning and going to uh, going to IHOP. Um, well, we uh, so Friday night uh, of Worlds this past year, we arranged a trip to uh, to a karaoke slash bowling place uh, because you're in Japan, so you have to, right? Yes, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And so, but karaoke over there is actually very different from, from how it is here. Here you usually get a bar and it's, it's fairly open and you're singing in front of everybody. And, uh, in, in Japan, it's actually much more, you get a room with a screen and a stage and you and five to ten of your friends go in there and queue up songs and, and sing. And so it's a very different, uh, situation. And so I wound up in a room with, uh, Glenn White, who is a, an amazing vocalist, um, Carlos Ho, Hector Fuentes. Uh, and I should say where these people are from because that's, that's what really makes this, this story fun. Glenn White is from, uh, the UK. He's from England. Carlos Ho is from Spain by way of, of, Panama. Um, Hector Fuentes is from Mexico. Uh, Andreas Jepsen was there from, um, oh, now I'm going to blank, uh, Eastern Europe. Um, uh, I'm blanking on, on where he's from. But then we also had uh, James Mackay, who was promoted to level four there from Australia. Um, uh, Nathan Brewer and Fabian Peck were there from Australia as well. And then, um, so you had all of these people from all over the world brought together by this game and, and they're singing Billy Joel's Piano Man at the top of their lungs in this little room in a Japanese karaoke place <laughs> that had bowling and down the hall. <laughs> Did you guys keep the audio of it? I don't think so, but someone there's there's definitely pictures, uh, but I don't know if there's any audio. There really should be though. <laughs> See, that would have been the great thing is if they do it in that booth, is they should be able to record it and give it to you on a DVD or a CD or something like that that you can play. That would have been priceless because that would be some some of that would be good blackmail material. I think. Let's try to describe a day in the life of a judge at a GP. Just give give a general day of what it's like to do it because a lot of people they see sure. you there but they don't understand the length and the hours you guys work. All right. Well, uh, usually 
let's let's run through kind of a weekend. Okay. Let's do. I'll go through Charlotte this uh, this past weekend, which was a fairly small one, and it's pretty close to home. Um, so we left the office in Roanoke around uh, four four o'clock in the afternoon and got down to Charlotte around seven p.m. Um, we hung out a little bit, had dinner, um, and got to bed at a reasonable hour, uh, which is good because we were up at uh, five fifteen. To get ready and be at the site at um, at uh, six. So we get to the site at six o'clock. We load everything in from our from our our vans and uh, have to do all of the setup. That includes tablecloths, all of the computers, uh, making sure that we're wired correctly so that we can actually plug the computers in. That's always good. Um, the uh, the SCG live setup that Rashad brings and um, making sure that that's all set, the feature match area, the uh, the feature match stand-up, and um, also while we're doing all of the events side of it, uh, our dealer booth is getting set up so that we've got the full full layout for everybody and they're, they're ready to, uh, to make sure that everyone can get their cards for the event. Um, so that goes from... 6 a.m. through till 8 a.m. when we open the doors to the public. Uh, from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m., I mentioned it earlier, we've got people seated at computers up on the stage just taking sign-ups as quickly as they can. Um, we've got it to the point where we use keypads for the players to enter their uh, DCI numbers, and all they've got to do is punch in their DCI number and hand us the $30 entry fee, and we can move right on to the next person, send and move them right along. Um, at uh, 10 a.m., we have to combine all of the files that were uh, that were put into the four different computers. Uh, they create four separate files, and we need to make them all one so that the software can run the tournament. Uh, so we sit down. That combination happens in a uh, – it starts off in Microsoft Excel, uh, and then finishes up just in Notepad. Um, once that's put together, we take any last signups that uh, to finalize and make sure that everybody has who wanted to get into the event got into the event, and we seat everyone for a player meeting. Uh, once we've seated everybody for the player meeting, a couple of quick announcements. Usually a pun about making sure that you don't spill your drinks on your cards. That's become uh, a uh, a routine thing now. Um, and a uh, couple of quick announcements and hand over to the head judge. Head judge is going to make some uh, simple announcements more regarding the tournament, uh, how many players we have, how many rounds we're going to be running, um, anything special about uh, how they want to run the tournament, uh, making sure that players have uh, a minute to look over their deck list. Ideally, everyone will take that minute make sure that they have a legal deck list that they're turning in to us. But inevitably, uh, at the beginning of round two, we're going to be visiting a couple of people with bad news. Um, once the tournament's up and running, um, we'll have one person who is scorekeeping the main event. They'll be responsible for getting pairings printed, getting uh, pairings over to coverage so they can pick feature matches, uh, making sure that the pairings go out on tw- our Twitter account, SCG open pairings, 
making sure that all of those files get sent in to uh, Ryan O'Connor, who handles all of our back end, uh, making sure that they get up onto the coverage site. Um, after that is actually kind of our lull period at the beginning of the round before results start to come in. Um, and we use that to reconcile all of the uh, cash and make sure that we have the right amount um, and get all that put away and taken care of. Uh, and then as the rounds go, it's a, a cyclical process of craziness as it starts to wind down, making sure you have all the results in, making sure that the judges have a list of the tables that are still, uh, it says outstanding, but I always use the term delinquent at the end of the round, um, so that they can check in on them, make sure that they're, that they're aware that it's gone to time, make sure that they're going through the end of round procedures properly, make sure that anyone who had extra time assigned during the round is getting that extra time and then moving to end of match procedures, um, and making sure that the turnaround is as quick as possible so that everybody else in the tournament who finished up their round against Mono Red in 15 minutes uh, gets to get into that next round uh, as quickly as possible. And so once that next round starts, obviously it's back into printing pairings and everything, getting them up, getting people into their seats, and then another little bit of a lull. Um, that runs throughout the day. Most of our tournaments have been nine to ten rounds. Um, we actually got very close to 11 rounds in D.C., and I think that that will happen at some point this year. Uh, my guess would be one of the Baltimore events may break that point where we hit 11 rounds for uh, the standard event. Now, I know they do it for coverage, but wouldn't it be more feasible to have day one be standard, day two be legacy? Or is it just that it would just be so late that you guys would be doing this till like 1 or 2 in the morning? Actually, the primary reason that we moved the top four to day two was because of venue restrictions. Um, a lot of these venues put a fairly hard close on at midnight, and we were pushing that and breaking that with nine-round events, and we saw that the numbers were getting even bigger. We had a couple that were ten rounds, and uh, it's our expectation that 10 rounds is going to be pretty much the default for standard for most of the year. A couple of them have been just under that threshold, which is uh, 410 players. Um, and so uh, with 10 rounds, starting at 10 a.m., the expectation with a tournament this size is that from the start of one round to the start of another round, you want it to be under 70 minutes. But realistically, it may even push 75. Now, ideally, you want it to be start to start 70 minutes or less. And we've, we've achieved that at some of our events, and especially as you get later in the day, that becomes much more feasible as the tournament gets, gets smaller. Um, but even averaging 70 minutes, that means that you're going to be looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of about 11 and a half to 12 hours for just the Swiss rounds. And so running just the top eight means that you're, you're safely getting in under that midnight cap. Uh, the other thing is if it runs till 1, 2 in the morning and we're back on site at 7 a.m., it's just 
you can you can run people ragged. Um, our Indianapolis event last year, which which broke the record and held the record until our DC event this year, had 686 players, ran 10 rounds, and we ran the whole top eight on on Saturday. Uh, well, not so much on Saturday, but really on Sunday morning. Uh, it also happened to be daylight savings time, and so we lost an hour. Mm-hmm. And so officially that top eight ended at about 3.10 in the morning, and we had to head back to our hotel and be back on site at 6.30. And it was just a mess. We had So we had the people who were running the event getting three hours of sleep. And that's just, that's no way to run this stuff. I, we, we have pretty high standards for what we want to see. Um, I don't think we always meet them, but um, we're always tr- striving to get better. And um, so I, I can't see a scenario where realistically you can expect five hours a night if you're going to try and do a top eight and it would only be shrinking as the events get bigger. And you, you don't want to do that with the people who you need to trust to be on top of things for all of Sunday. Many of people saying that from a viewer perspective, you know, they want conclusion. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I, and I understand that. When you have put in the 12, uh, well, I should take that back. It's um, 18, 16, 17, 18 hour day. Yep. And you, you go back to your room for, well, you got to eat. That's usually yep. again at midnight, one in the morning, and you get back to your room and it's one thirty in the morning, and you have to get up at five something. You do this, this clock that continues. I mean, it, the repeating of the weekends, like this happening over and over again. Yep. How do you stay focused to do as good a job as you want to do? Um. Well, we try and get food on on Saturday night. Uh, at the venue, if we can if we can get a dinner there, that's actually better because um, you don't want to be trying to find food at 1 a.m. Uh, it's uh, it's possible. We we love IHOP. It's likely where you'll see us. Just you know, throw IHOP into your phone, and the nearest one's probably where you're going to find the judges after the event. But uh, on Saturday nights, we just we try and get back to the hotel and in bed as quickly as possible. Um, and you definitely run down over the course of an event, but, uh, you want to, you want to get as much sleep as you can. And what you want to do is you want to go into these events ready and healthy. Um, and so that means taking care of yourself during the week and making sure that you're getting sleep during the week. And, you know, you go into these events with the expectation that you're going to be running a little short. Okay, because I just want people to understand the concept of how difficult it is to really be a judge at an event on a level like this, that it's not your standard, you know, F&M where the guy works six hours for a couple of things to understand the amount that goes on. One of the things I have to say about judges in general that I have because I Grand Prix Dallas-Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. And I was down there just doing coverage, watching a lot of magic, and I spent probably 
good part of some rounds just talking to judges in general. And the one thing that I really enjoy about being around judges is just how generally nice they are. My eyes will take off and I will leave. And I said, that's not a problem. Yep. And I thought, that was it's really definitely the, the sidelong conversation is a judge skill that's developed. I think a lot of people think judges are unapproachable. And I'm trying to break that stereotype. Absolutely. Um, it's, well, judges are authority figures. Yes. And, um, there's a natural, uh, I don't know if fear is the right word, but hesitancy to approach authority figures because they're in charge. And what, um, what I've always felt about judges was they're there to make sure that you have fun. At the end of the day, that's, that's their goal. And part of, some of the stuff that they do is, is long term. It's not immediately fun to receive a game loss for doing X wrong. It's not immediately fun to receive a warning or to, uh, or to be told, you know, this is not how you do it. But that's, that should all be pushing the whole tournament scene towards people playing by the rules, people doing things right, people paying attention, people communicating with each other, which at the end of the day is fun and is what makes the game great. Um, and so one of the things that we've, that we've pushed is creating interactions that are outside of uh, someone raising their hand and calling for a judge. Um, at uh, Grand Prix Denver, which was a, a sealed Grand Prix that we were we were lucky enough to be the tournament organizers for, one of the things that we provided to all the judges was a token kit, which had all of the tokens from the um, all the tokens from the block in it, so that they could go around and when they saw coins or dice on the table. They could give the players the token that it should be. So you've got a couple of coins on the table representing your mirror or representing uh, your golems, and a judge will come by and say, you know, are those mirror? Well, here you go. And what we wanted to do with that is we wanted to create those small interactions where it was positive and it was uh, just an engaging interaction where that could break down that barrier. Because if the only time that you interact with a judge is if you raise your hand and you're in the air and, and call out for them when someone's done something wrong or when you don't understand something and they're coming over as that authority figure to, to fix something, it, it's very intimidating to approach them independent of that. If there are other interactions that you have, it can break down that barrier and, and get you to the point where you start seeing them as as people and as friends and as, you know, they're here to make the event work. And, you know, if it weren't for you as the player, they wouldn't be here. And if it weren't for them, then believe me, you wouldn't have as much fun at events. I can agree with that completely. I, I want to mention my other two uh, staff who I who have been excellent recently. Tasha Jameson uh, came on and is unfortunately going to be leaving us for grad school. That's unfortunately for us, not for her. And um, 
She's going to be leaving us for grad school in September. And then also Jason Reedy, who has been uh, instrumental in instituting the new invitational qualifiers um, that we've been pushing out to stores. That I wanted to talk about, too, uh, real quick. I'm, you brought that sure, up. Uh, you, The invitational qualifiers, yep. what a unique way to give someone that doesn't have the commitment or the time like you know Jerry T does to be able to show up at every tournament, to give them an opportunity to be able to go to Indianapolis through the Invitational like that. Yeah, when did that come like, together? How did that go? Well, uh, it's one of those things where we switched over to a slot-based system this year, and this was kind of in the works at that point. Um, last year, qualification for the Invitational was purely on points, and so this year we transferred over to if you finish in the top eight of a standard open or a legacy open or you win a draft open, you qualify directly. You can also qualify by accumulating points and getting to level two. Um, but having that slot-based qualification opened up the opportunity to run these qualifiers and say the winner gets to come out. The first one you guys ran was in Denver. Uh, yes, the the, we ran two at Grand Prix Denver, yep, and that was the kind of announcement of the program. Here they are, and um, then we had a, a limited schedule that we'd put together by talking to, uh, actually, a lot of the judges that we know who are involved with stores. Um, we had we contacted them, got them to set some up, and now it's open to everybody, um, and we're having great turnouts. There have been uh, a few of them that have broken 50 players. Um, and not only that, but uh, we've made a guarantee to organizers that if you don't get the uh, – it's a program we really believe in. We launched the program at Grand Prix Denver, but we had contacted through judges some stores ahead of time to kind of have some already scheduled when we announced the program. Uh, but scheduling is now open to everybody. It's um, we're it's a a really great program. We've seen some great turnouts. Some as many as 50 and even more players showing up. Uh, it's been great for the stores, and we also make a guarantee to the store that if they don't get uh, the 20 players, uh, then we go ahead and we'll get them set up with uh, a free event in the next season. And so it's a great way to bring some higher-level magic events into your local store. Um, SCGIQ at StarCityGames.com if you want more information. If you your local store wants to get in on that, just have them send an email to that address, and they will get an email back immediately. Well, good. That's That's the last thing I wanted to ask about. Is there anything that we can talk about your yourself, uh, promoting yourself, uh, where people can reach you. I wanted to talk more about judging, but we'll bring that up for next time. <laughs> Is um, there anything else we can promote for you? Well, uh, I am also the regional coordinator for the judge program in the southeastern United States. So that's Maryland, Delaware, Virginia, West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, North and South Carolina, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, and Florida. And so if you're in that area and you have any problems having to do with judging or TOing, you have any questions, feel free to shoot me an email, Jared Silva, J-A-R-E-D-S-Y-L-V-A, 
at gmail.com, and I'll do my best to help you out. You can also find me through Judge Center. Uh, I may be a little harder to find on there because I'm R. Jared Silva. Uh, first initial. Okay. And, again, I appreciate your time tonight. I know you gave an over an hour tonight of your time to me. Your wife was nice enough to give me that time, and I appreciate that. For the Men of Magic, Robert Martin, Jared Silva, till next time. Thank you very much for listening.